Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. We have our cozy fire in the background for ambience. Now close your eyes, lay back, and let me read you to sleep. And now, on with our story time. Chapter 4 Of what happened to our night when he left the inn. Day was dawning when Don Quixote quitted the inn. So happy, so exhilarated at finding himself now dubbed a knight, that his joy was like to burst his horse curse. However, recalling the advice of his host as to the requisites he ought to carry with him, especially that referring to money and shirts, he determined to go home and provide himself with all, and also with a squire, for he reckoned upon securing a farm laborer, a neighbor of his, a poor man with a family, but very well qualified for the office of squire to a knight. With this object, he turned his horse's head towards his village, and Rocinante, thus reminded of his old quarters, stepped out so briskly that he hardly seemed to tread the earth. He had not gone far, when out of a thicket on his right there seemed to come feeble cries as someone in distress. And the instant he heard them, he exclaimed, Thanks be to heaven for the favor it accords me, that it so soon offers me an opportunity of fulfilling the obligation I have undertaken, and gathering the fruit of my ambition. These cries, no doubt, came from some man or woman in want of help, and needing my aid and protection. And, wheeling, he turned Rocinante in the direction whence the cries seemed to proceed. He had gone but a few paces into the wood, when he saw a mare tied to an oak, and tied to another, and stripped from the waist upwards, a youth of about fifteen years of age, from whom the cries came. Nor were they without cause, for a lusty farmer was flogging him with a belt, and following up every blow with scoldings and commands, repeating, Your mouth shut, and your eyes open, while the youth made answer, I won't do it again, master mine. By God's passion, I won't do it again, and I'll take more care of the flock another time. Seeing what was going on, Don Quixote said in an angry voice, Discourteous knight, it ill becomes you to assail one who cannot defend himself. Mount your steed and take your lance. For there was a lance leaning against the oak to which the mare was tied. And I will make you know that you are behaving as a coward. The farmer, seeing before him this figure in full armor, brandishing a lance over his head, gave himself up for dead, and made answer meekly, Sir Knight, this youth that I am chastising is my servant, employed by me to watch a flock of sheep that I have hard by, and he is so careless that I lose one every day, and when I punish him for his carelessness and knavery, he says I do it out of cruelty to escape paying him the wages I owe him. And before God, 
and on my soul. He lies. Lies before me, base clown, said Don Quixote. By the sun that shines on us, I have a mind to run you through with this lance. Pay him at once, without another word. If not, by the god that rules, I will make an end of you and annihilate you on the spot. Release him instantly. The farmer hung his head and without a word untied his servant, of whom Don Quixote asked how much his master owed him. He replied, nine months at seven reels a month. Don Quixote added this up, found that it came to sixty-three reels, and told the farmer to pay it down immediately if he did not want to die for it. The trembling clown replied that as he lived and by the oath he had sworn, though he had not actually sworn any, it was not so much, for there were to be taken into account and deducted three pairs of shoes he had given him, and a reel for two bloodlettings when he was sick. All that is very well, said Don Quixote, but let the shoes and the bloodlettings stand as a set-off against the blows you had given him without any cause. For if he spoiled the leather of the shoes you paid for, you have damaged that of his body. And if the barber took blood from him when he was sick, you have drawn it when he was sound. So on that score, he owes you nothing. The difficulty is, Sir Knight, said the clown, but I have no money here. Let Andres come home with me, and I will pay him all, real by real. I go with him, said the youth. Nay, God forbid. No, senor, not for the world. For once alone with me, he would ray me like a Saint Bartholomew. He will do no thing of the kind, said Don Quixote. I have only to command, and he will obey me. And he has sworn to me by the order of knighthood, which he has received. I leave him free, and I guarantee the payment. Consider what you are saying, senor, said the youth. This master of mine is not a knight, nor has he received any order of knighthood. For he has won Haldudo, the rich, of Queen Tenar. That matters little, replied Don Quixote. There may be Haldudo's knights. Moreover, everyone is the son of his works. That is true, said Andres, the youth. But this master of mine, of what works is he the son, when he refuses me the wages of my sweat and labor? I do not refuse, brother Andres, said the farmer. Be good enough to come along with me, and I swear by all the orders of knighthood. I will pay you as I have agreed, real by real, and perfumed. For the perfumery, I excuse you, said Don Quixote. Give it to him in reels, and I shall be satisfied, and see that you do as you have sworn. If not, by the same oath, I swear to come back and hunt you and punish you. And I shall find you, though you should lie closer than a lizard. And if you desire to know who it is lays this command upon you, that you may be more firmly bound to obey it, know that I am the valorous Don Quixote of La Mancha, 
the undoer of wrongs and injustices. And so, God be with you. And keep in mind what you have promised and sworn under these penalties. So saying this, he gave Rocinante the spur and was soon out of reach. The farmer followed him with his eyes, and when he saw that he cleared the wood and was no longer in sight, he turned to his boy Andres and said, Come here, my son. I want to pay you what I owe you, as that undoer of wrongs has commanded me. My oath on it, said Andres. Your worship will be well advised to obey the command of that good knight. May he live a thousand years, for, as he is a valiant and just judge by Roque, if you do not pay me, he will come back and do as he said. My oath on it, too, said the farmer. But, as I have a strong affection for you, I want to add the debt in order to add the payment. Seizing him by the arm, he tied him up again, and gave him such a flogging that he left him for dead. Now, Master Andres, said the farmer, call upon that undoer of wrongs. You will find he won't undo this, though I am not sure that I have quite done with you, for I have a good mind to flail you alive. But at last he untied him, and gave him leave to go look for his judge in order to put the sentence pronounced into execution. Andres went off rather down in the mouth, swearing he would go look for the valiant Don Quixote of La Mancha and tell him exactly what had happened, and that all would have to be repaid him sevenfold. But for all that, he went off weeping while his master stood laughing. Thus did the valiant Don Quixote right that wrong, and thoroughly satisfied with what had taken place, as he considered he had made a very happy and noble beginning with his knighthood. He took the road towards his village in perfect self-content, saying in a low voice, Well, mayest thou this day call thyself fortunate above all on earth, O Dulcinea del Toboso, fairest of the fair, since it has fallen to thy lot to hold, subject, and submissive to thy will, and pleasure a knight so renowned as is and will be Don Quixote of La Mancha, who, as the world knows, yesterday received the order of knighthood, and hath today righted the greatest wrong and grievance that ever injustice conceived and cruelty perpetrated who hath today plucked the rod from the hand of yonder ruthless oppressor, so wantonly lashing that tender child. He came now to a road branching in four directions, and immediately he was reminded of those crossroads, where knights errant used to stop to consider which road they should take. In imitation of them, he halted for a while, and after having deeply considered it, he gave Rocinante his head, submitting his own will to that of his hack, who followed out his first intention. This was to make straight for his own stable. After he had gone about two miles, Don Quixote perceived that a large party of people, who, as afterwards appeared, were some Toledo traitors, 
on their way to buy silk at Mercia. There were six of them coming along under sunshades with four servants mounted and three muleteers on foot. Scarcely had Don Quixote described them when the fancy possessed him that this must be some new adventure and to help him to imitate as far as he could those passages he had read of in his books. Here seemed to come one on purpose, which he resolved to attempt. So, with a lofty bearing and determination, he fixed himself firmly in his stirrups, got his lance ready, brought his buckler before his breast, and planting himself in the middle of the road, stood, waiting the approach of these knights errant, for such he now considered and held them to be. And when they had come near enough to see and hear, he exclaimed with a haughty gesture, All the world stand, unless all the world confess, that in all the world there is no maiden fairer than the Empress of La Mancha, the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso. The traders halted at the sound of this language, and the sight of that strange figure that uttered it, and from both figure and language at once guessed the craze of the owner. They wished, however, to learn quietly what was the object of this confession and what was demanded of them. One of them, who was rather fond of a joke and was very sharp-witted, said, Sir Knight, we do not know who this good lady is that you speak of, show her to us, for if she be of such beauty as you suggest, with all our hearts and without any pressure, we will confess the truth that is on your part required of us. If I were to show her to you, replied Don Quixote, what merit would you have in confessing a truth so manifest? The essential point is that without seeing her, you must believe, confess, affirm, swear, and defend it. Else ye have to do with me in battle, ill-conditioned, arrogant rabble that ye are. And come ye on, one by one, as the order of knighthood requires, or altogether, as is the custom and vile usage of your breed. Here do I bid, and await you relying on the justice of the cause that I maintain. Sir Knight, replied the traitor, I entreat your worship in the name of this present company of princes, that to save us from our charging of conscience with the confession of a thing we had never heard of, and moreover, so much the prejudice of the empresses and queens of Alcaria and Estremadura, your worship will be pleased to show us, at least, some portrait of this lady, though it be no bigger than a grain of wheat, for by the thread one gets at the ball, and in this way we shall be satisfied and easy, and you will be content and pleased. Nay, I believe we are already so far agreed with you, that even though her portrait would show her blind of one eye, and distilling vermilion and sulfur from the other, we would nevertheless gratify your worship, say all in her favor that you desire, she distills nothing of the kind, vile rabble, said Don Quixote, burning with rage. Nothing of the kind, I say. 
only amber-gray and civet and cotton. Nor is she one-eyed or humpbacked, but straighter than a Guadamara spindle. But you must pay for the blasphemy you've uttered against beauty like that of my lady. And so sang, he charged with leveled lance against the one who had spoken, with such fury and fierceness that if luck had not contrived that Rocinante should stumble midway and fall down, it would have gone hard with the rash traitor. Down went Rocinante, and over went his master, rolling along the ground for some distance. And when he tried to rise, he was unable, so encumbered was he with lance, buckler, spurs, helmet, and the weight of his old armor. And all the while, he was struggling to get up and kept saying, Fly not, cowards and captives, stay, for not by my fault, but my horses, that I am landed here. One of the muleteers in attendance, who could not have had much good nature in him, hearing the poor prostate man blustering in this style, was unable to refrain from giving him an answer on his ribs, and coming up to him, he seized his lance, and having broken it into pieces, with one of them he began to so belabor our Don Quixote, that notwithstanding and in spite of his armor, he milled him like a measure of wheat. His masters called out to not lay so hard on him and leave him alone, but the muleteer's blood was up, and he did not care to drop the game until he had vented the rest of his wrath, and gathering up the remaining fragments of the lance, he finished with a discharge upon the unhappy victim, who all through the storm of sticks that rained on him never ceased threatening heaven and earth and the brigands, for such they seemed to him. At last, the muleteer was tired, and the traders continued their journey, taking with them matter for talk about the poor fellow who had been cudgeled. When Don Quixote found himself alone, he made another effort to rise. But if he was unable, when whole and sound, how was he to rise after having been thrashed? and well-nigh knocked to pieces. And yet, he esteemed himself fortunate, as it seemed to him that this was a regular knight-errant's mishap, and certainly, he considered, the fault of his horse. However, battered in body as he was, to rise was beyond his power. Chapter 5 In which the narrative of our knight's mishap is continued. Finding then that in fact he could not move, Don Quixote thought himself of having recourse to his usual remedy, which was to think of some passage in his books, and his craze brought to his mind that of Baldwin and the Marquis of Mantua, when Carlotto left him wounded on the mountainside, a story known by heart by the children not forgotten by the young men, and lauded and even believed by the old folk, and for all that not a whit truer than the miracles of Mahomet. This seemed to him to fit exactly the case in which he found himself. So, making a show of severe suffering, 
he began to roll on the ground, and with feeble breath, repeat the very words which the wounded knight of the wood is said to have uttered. Where art thou, lady mine, that thou my sorrow dost not rule? Thou canst not know it, lady mine, or else thou art untrue. And so he went on with the ballad as far as the lines. O noble Marquis of Mantua, my uncle, my liege lord. As chance would have it, when he got to this line, there happened to come by a peasant from his own village, a neighbor of his, who had been with a load of wheat to the mill. And he, seeing the man stretched there, came up to him and asked him who he was and what was the matter with him. Don Quixote was firmly persuaded that this was the Marquis of Mantua, his uncle, so the only answer he made was to go on with his ballad, in which he told the tale of his misfortune, and of the loves of the emperor's son and his wife, all exactly as the ballad sings it. The peasant stood amazed at hearing such nonsense, relieving him of his visor, already battered to pieces by blows. He wiped his face, which was covered with dust, and as soon as he had done so, he recognized him and said, Signor Quixada, for so he appears to have been called when he was in his senses and had not yet changed from a quiet country gentleman into a knight errant. Who has brought your worship to this pass? But to all questions, the other only went on with his ballad. Seeing this, the good man removed as well as he could his breastplate and backpiece to see if he had any wounds. But he could perceive no blood nor any mark whatever. He then contrived to raise him from the ground and with no little difficulty hoisted him upon his ass, which seemed to him to be the easiest mount for him. And collecting the arms, even to the splinters of the lance, he tied them on Rocinante and leading him by the bridle and by the ass by the halter he took very sad to hear. He thought, what absurd stuff Don Quixote was talking. Nor was Don Quixote less so, for what with blows and bruises he could not sit upright on the ass, and from time to time he sent up sighs to the heavens, so that only once more he drove the peasant to ask what ailed him, and it could have been only the devil himself that put into his head tales to match his own adventures. For now, forgetting Baldwin, he bethought himself of the Moor Avendaraz, who was taken prisoner and carried away to a castle, so that when the peasant again asked him how he was and what ailed him, he gave him for reply the same words and phrases that the captive Avendaraz gave to Rodrigo de Navarraz just as he had read in the story, Diana. As his story was written, he applied it to his own case so aptly that the peasant went along cursing his fate, why he had to listen to such a lot of nonsense, from which, however, he came to the conclusion that his neighbor was mad. And so, all made haste to reach the village to escape the wearisomeness of this harangue. And Don Quixote, at the end of it, said, Signor Don Rodrigo, 
Your worship must know that this fair Zarifa I have mentioned is now the lovely Dulcinea del Toboso, for whom I have done, am doing, and will do the most famous deeds of chivalry that in this world have been seen, are to be seen, or ever shall be seen. To this the peasant answered, Signor, sinner that I am, cannot your worship see that I am not Don Rodrigo, nor the Marquis of Mantua, but Pedro, your neighbor, and that your worship is neither Baldwin nor Abenderes, but the worthy gentleman, Signor Quixada. I know who I am, replied Don Quixote, and I know that I may not be only those I have named, but all the twelve peers of France, and even all the nine worthies, since my achievements surpass all that they have done, all together, and each of them on his own account. With this talk, and more of the same kind, they reached the village just as night was beginning to fall. But the peasant waited until it was a little later that the belabored gentleman might not be seen riding in such a miserable trim. When it was what seemed to him the proper time, he entered the village and went to Don Quixote's house, which he found in all confusion. And there were the curate and the village barber, who were great friends of Don Quixote. And his housekeeper was saying to them in a loud voice, What does your worship think can have befallen my master, Signor Licentiate Pero Perez? For so the curate was called. It is three days now since anything has been seen of him, or the hack, or the buckler, lance, or armor. Miserable me, I am certain of it. And it is as true as that I was born to die, that these accursed books of chivalry he has, and has got into the way of reading so constantly. They've upset his reason. For now, I remember having often heard him saying to himself that he would turn knight errant and go all over the world in quest of adventures. To the devil and Barabbas with such books that have brought to ruin in this way the finest understanding there was in all La Mancha. The niece said the same and more. You must know, Master Nicholas, for that was the name of the barber. It was often my uncle's way to stay two days and nights together, poring over these unholy books of misadventures, after which he would fling the book away and snatch up his sword and fall to slashing the walls. And when he was tired, he would say he had killed four giants like four towers, and the sweat that flowed from him when he was weary, he said was blood, from the wounds he had received in battle. And then he would drink a great jug of cold water, and become calm and quiet, saying that this water was a most precious potion which the sage Esquife, the great magician and friend of his, had brought him but I take all the blame upon myself for never having told your worships of my uncle's vagaries, that you might put a stop to them before these things had come to pass and burn all these accursed books, for he has a great number. 
that richly deserve to be burned like heretics. So say I too, said the curate, and by my faith, tomorrow shall not pass without public judgment upon them, and may they be condemned to the flames, lest they lead those to read, and behave as my good friend seems to have behaved. All this the peasant heard, and from it he understood at last what was the matter with his neighbor. He began calling aloud, Open your worships to Signor Baldwin, and to Signor the Marquis of Mantua, who comes badly wounded, and to Signor Abenteres the Moor, whom the valiant Rodrigo brings captive. At these words they all hurried out, and when they recognized their friend, master, and uncle, who had not yet dismounted from the horse, because he could not, they ran to embrace him. Hold, said he, for I am badly wounded through my horse's fault. Carry me to bed, and if possible, send for the wise Yorgonda to cure and see to my wounds. See there, plague on it, cried the housekeeper. Did not my heart tell the truth as to which foot my master went lame of? To bed your worship at once, and we will contrive to cure you here without fetching the Hergada. A curse, I say once more, and a hundred times more, on those books of chivalry that have brought your worship to such a pass. They carried him to bed at once, and after searching for his wounds could find none. But he said they were all bruises from having a severe fall with his horse Rocinante, when in combat with ten giants, the biggest and the boldest to be found on earth. So, so, said the curate, are there giants in the dance? By the sign of the cross, I will burn them tomorrow, before the day is over. They put a host of questions to Don Quixote, but his only answer to all was, give him something to eat and let him sleep, for that was what was needed most. They did so, and the curate questioned the peasant at great length as to how he had found Don Quixote. He told him, and the nonsense he had talked when found and on the way home, all of which made the licentiate the more eager to do what he did the next day, which was to summon his friend the barber, Master Nicholas, and go with him to Don Quixote's house. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. <laughs>